Welcome to Bonehead Weekly, and this week we're talking about the most exciting genre of filmmaking of all time. This is the one that gets all the ladies and all the guys excited and ready to go to the cinema. Gentlemen, what are we talking about? I'm trying to think of a... Fast and Furious film, right? Oh, God. These are actually more entertaining than Fast and the Furious films. Well, I don't know. I've only ever seen most of them. Uh, we are, I, I don't know how to do this in a snobby accent, but I'm going to try uh, documentaries. What? Documentaries? Those aren't directed by Michael Bay, and they don't star Vin Diesel. Why are we talking about documentaries? Well, we I guess already Tenet... have a crappy viewership. Who watches a documentary? <laughs> there are so many good ones out there, though. And yeah, I'm sorry if this is going to shit on you all, but like when people think of documentaries, if uh, hopefully this isn't on your list, they think of like Grey Gardens and... You know, movie like documentaries about World War II, and I'm like, "Hey, Band of Brothers, that's not a documentary. documentary. (laughs) That's a biopic. That's a, I guess that's a bio series. Um, But it's not even really based on real people, is it? Is it? I don't know. I've never watched it. But Band of Brothers, yeah, yeah, totally is. (laughs) They interviewed the real. It's bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's fucking shit that Tom Hanks made up. When they he was drinking the, the adrenaline or adrenaline, then oh baby. my god, is this going to be the episode where James? Here I he goes. He needs, Chad he needs said to... before we started that this is going to be a good one because James yeah. keeps freezing, and it's because he moved locations, moved back to the other location where your Wi-Fi was well, fine. Okay, hold on, hold on. That, that, yeah, I'll, I'll be back with y'all in a minute. Anyway, so yeah. back to what so, I was saying. James really just does things with his mouth and fillets. Uh, hi, there you go. God damn he it. went away. He went away. I've actually never to be seen again. Are you telling me? Are you telling me that World War II was a thing? Yeah, last I checked. Well, oh, if you talk to no. if you if you uh, talk to some people, they. They Alex Jones was telling me something different. Are you telling me <laughs> that guy may have lied to me? And our conversation before the, the taping happens into the tape, it bleeds into the taping now. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so we don't try, we try not to get too political, but I was telling the gentleman here that I, uh, this is, I, I found, finally found my line in the sand. If you support Alex Jones, we probably can't be friends. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think, Chad? You, I, you and James, I don't mean to out you, but didn't disagree with me either. I just, if you watch that show, because I have seen snippets, I will never watch a whole show. I have seen snippets well, I, on other show either. I have watched snippets on other programming. I will never go that far as to sit down and watch, even though these people who showed these snippets watch the show. Now, I watched almost I, all three hours of his Joe Rogan interview. Oh, I, I don't know if I could ever do that. It was tough because he yeah. just talks and it's all, as you've told me before, bullshit. I mean, yeah, everything, it's just, everything about his life, everything is all made up. It's all fabulous. It's all gibberish. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but so luckily there, I'm not covering any documentaries on him. Why I don't do know why I want to, I want to sound really, really snobby when I talk. You about don't have to change anything about yourself. Oh, I think I do. Oh, see, you walked right into that. <laughs> this is weird not having a third wheel. I know, because usually wheel. he would chime in and go, well, well. Let's do his Barney Five. There you yeah. go. I wonder no, how long um, he's going to be. My so first- out of curiosity, yeah. when we talk about our doc, because I did, I could have gone a serious route. 
but I purposely chose not to. So are all of yours in entertainment related? Mm -mm. Okay. No, the most, first one, you're not even going to know. It is extremely obscure. Most it of mine out of my ass. Most of mine, because I kept, I kept picking and, you know, going, okay, well, do I want to talk about this one? And even though I liked it, I was like, I really love this one. And by the time my list got together, it was all entertainment feel entertainment related. Yeah. I, one. I don't, I don't have as many, but I haven't quite made my mind up about two and three. If that makes you feel any better, I'm still going back and forth. But one was, I wasn't necessarily feeling bad about the decision. Well, you should, you should, <laughs> you should have been feeling bad about the decision the whole time. Actually, one was really easy. Uh, six months ago, it wouldn't have been easy. But it was one of those Chad Jennings, You, we decide the topic and I pluck it from there. I didn't have to go do research, which I usually have to do. Yeah. I usually, my, my pump needs to be primed. <laughs> Take that how you will. And Chad normally just kind of plucks movies without doing research. And James and I usually go do research. That's yeah. accurate. That's uh, it's completely accurate. I usually don't do research for movies. I don't Google and then anything. It, and it always adds, it, it's always a good kind of thing because we we come bring some information in we end up finding about lists that we think are bullshit and we try to entertain you all and james exactly. still lives in here yeah no <laughs> he's still gone and you know, this, i always with with my with my, my my method of doing these of just pulling it out of my general knowledge you know i have lapses of i uh, forget about things and months later i'm like we need to do another episode because i forgot to talk about this one <laughs> Yeah, I'm still I, I'm still beating myself up about character actors and not mentioning Luis Guzman, who's my favorite, one of my favorite character actors of all time. Well, that's not what you told him. Yeah. <laughs> if you never, I don't. Heard. Do we want to get started without James, or do we want to just wait? I kind of just just talking. You doing all right? How, how's um, your mother? Yeah, she's good. She's good. Well, how about good. your mother? My, I, I, she had a procedure Wednesday. Nothing bad. I think everything's going to be fine, and I think she's just a hypochondriac. <laughs> but what's funny is, and it was just doing a scope and they have to do some sort of biopsy things. It's nothing bad, but they were, uh, they were putting a patch on her and I'm trying to explain to everybody that my mom has this thing called Meniere's disease. And basically what it is, it's the same thing. If you're a big Huey Lewis fan, you can't hear very well and it muffles everything and you have to talk. And sometimes she hears you playing. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes she just doesn't pay attention. Cause that's which just is why, why it got its name. Because if somebody, you talk to somebody and, and they, and they aren't catching it. You go, what's wrong with you? Maneers. Ah, Thank funny, you. Thank funny, you. funny. I'm here so all day. It, so they're putting a patch on the back of her to keep her from passing out. Long story short. And I'm yeah. like, it's okay, mom. What they're doing is putting a patch for your really heavy, heavy nicotine addiction. And she's not laughing and does never found me funny. And you can hear the doctor and the two nurses back behind the thing cackling. And it made my day. <laughs> so not I, even I, a funny joke but so oh. james so james is back and for those who are not watching and i brought YouTube, the combination to the safe oh my Jesus god he's this, this crappy sound yeah um it's the same headset then i'm just talking very loudly well stop it and the fact oh, that okay. he actually took that, my I'm advice sorry. he took my advice and moved to another location to this the original location where i still didn't take it. your full advice I'm actually on my laptop instead of the normal computer. There's a story there, but I'm not going to share it while we're That's recording. That's good because we, Chad and I have been boring the hell out of each other. And it, involve, it involves porn. 
Speaking now, of which, I no, wish. James's that would, com- that would James's be an- computer, not my, not our conversation. And I thought our conversation was riveting. Huh. See, you think you know somebody. I know. That's what I was thinking. James, did you know World War II might have happened? Yeah, Joe, I was. I, it turns out. Uh, now, it turns out. It turns out, Joe, if you go down to the veterans of the foreign wars and tell them it doesn't happen, them people get real upset. Well, none um, of them are still there. So, Jay, I was, we were, we'll get right into the topic, but I I asked Joe this, so I'll ask you this since you're back on now. Um, when I was, when I was trying to go through my list of of documentaries to pick and I was picking through my brain, like I actually removed all those, uh, all of mine are going to be kind of related to the entertainment industry in one way or another, except for one is how does yours fall into that category? Because I had a hard time. Like, I'm, I'm waiting to see what you all take from me. Because I could have picked some serious ones, but I was like, no, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for the ones that actually, I, I make me happy. Because I've been in that mood a lot lately. I've been like, happy I don't want to see the stuff. No, and then I've been looking for stuff that legitimately makes me happy, that makes me smile. And these are documentaries that do that, with the exception of one. But you've didn't. never been happy. I've been happy recently. Oh, if you keep it up, you know he's going to break out into Farrell Williams. Farrell Williams. <laughs> Farrell Williams. Yeah, he's yeah, Farrell Williams. Williams. We can't find him. He's out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> With all them cat. cats. All right. I'm going to head go off first. raccoons. I'm going to go first if you guys don't mind. Go ahead. Okay. I'm going to tell you a short thing, and I do not want empathy or sympathy from anyone. It's just the way. It's been a rough few weeks several reasons but one my dad's been sick in the hospital he's out of the hospital and he's feeling better thank you but i'm playing sad music to go along while he whilst he was in the horse pistol one morning as before i was leaving to drive all the way back to lexington from hazard kentucky i I, I was eating i was hoping that they'd bring two breakfasts so i wouldn't have to so i could get something and we were flipping through and he bitched about the television the whole time we were in there anyway not as much as he bitched about the carrots and the food but up there and accidentally landed on ket at 6 30 in the morning because dad's an early riser even in the hospital and i watched a documentary that i watched 20 some years ago and it's about where i grew up and it's called the big lever now the big lever is about republicans and how this stronghold of like a republican democrat how stronghold of republicans in the county that i grew up leslie county is so interesting and fascinating simply because and james will understand this surrounded by counties that vote nationally republican but local politics what are they james oh like yeah no, county? Red. red red they're red but what are they registered as oh they're registered uh Democrats. Democrats, yeah. 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 They're registered Democrats, but they Leslie County is the exception. Perry County Democrat, blah 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 Democrat, blah, blah, blah but Leslie County is the exception. So much so that a place called Apple Shop in Whitesburg made a documentary about it. Now in 1978, it is so red and it is such a Republican stronghold that they named the new gymnasium built next to the high school the Richard M. Nixon Center. Now this is funny because by 1978, Joe Lewis is born. But also, Chad, what had already happened before 1978? Uh, oh, lots of stuff. There were dinosaurs at one point. Yes, yeah, but not, with Richard M. Nixon. In not particular. World War II. You're talking about the, the uh, 
uh, Watergate. Uh, I was waiting for one of oh, you to say Watergate. I thought you were. I thought you were talking about the Environmental Protection, the EPA. Well, that's another thing. Nixon was the one that brought about. My dad always hated the EPA, and that's all Nixon. I always think that they never put two and two together, but it's all Nixon. Yeah. HMOs always go back to Nixon as well. But just he, like the only president to uh, to uh, put out uh, just even a slightest bit of gun control was Trump. <laughs> oh, in the history of everything. Huh, that's that's interesting. But yeah. anyway, back to what I was saying. Back to Nixon. So Nixon had already been ran out of office by five years. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. By the time they named the Richard M. Nixon Center. Now, while this is all going whilst this is all going on, what also is fascinating is the county judge executive, C. Allen Muncie, is in the middle of a trial because basically there's a lot of dead people that did what, gentlemen? Vote! Voted for him! When there's nobody! Anyway, this is so funny. This is hilarious. There is not a population in eastern Kentucky of any stripe more than the dead that vote. There isn't. Especially back in the day. Now, I'm going to... 92% of the dead vote. They vote often. The for Nixon's, this is the film description right off of Apple Shop's website, and I'll make it quick. Nixon's first public appearance since resigning the presidency was in Leslie County, Kentucky in 1978. Okay? Think about that. That's his first public appearance, 1978. Introduces this incisive and sometimes hilarious look at the engines that drive American politics. The film explores the, the machinations of party politics in rural and staunchly Republican County. It says hollow to hollow, but we both know it's holler to holler. And vote hunting, family squabbles over candidates, patronage, promises such as whiskey and money, speech making on the courthouse steps, and the up and down career of the incumbent county judge who was B.C. Allen Muncie. Sought re-election while under indictment for vod, for voter fraud conspiracy. Now, what's hilarious about all this, once again, not hilarious, but the reason I'm picking this is it's a 57 minutes long. You can watch it on Apple Shop's website. So it's available to stream on many different platforms. But I hadn't seen it in 20-some years, and I was re-watching it with, as a 40-some-year-old middle-aged man whose dad's in the hospital from a stroke sitting there, right? And dad, and I know these people because I know some of them because of dad, like, See, Alan Muncy sold my dad's gas to him. He owned a fuel distribution company on top of his judge executive and a bunch of other stuff to my dad. That's dad's attorney who also went to prison with <laughs> see Alan Muncy. And it's, it's just fascinating now as an, at, when I was a kid, when I first saw it, either in my late teens, early twenties, wasn't as fascinating in my mid forties. Fascinating that my elementary school principal, was there on the documentary. I don't even remember him being in it. So my dad had never seen it and was getting into it. Going, what? That, that, that son of a bitch right there. Yada, yada, yada. I had the best time with this son of a gun at 6.30 a.m. in years, just kind of reliving memories, knowing some of these people who are really infamous. And one little bit of trivia left. C. Allen Muncie, who did go to prison along with Edmund Collett and another person, Edmund Collett was dad's divorce attorney twice, and <laughs> did go to prison, but they ended up getting exonerated and getting some of this over time after they did time, they were all able to practice again. I find all that fascinating. There. No, I mean. The big lever. And the big lever, I forgot, once again, is in reference to voting straight party ticket. Yeah. 
And when it gets to the gets to the national elections, really the only thing that mattered in Leslie County wasn't the main vote. It was the primaries because whoever got the primary was going to win because you're going to draw, vote straight Republican ticket, the big lever. Yeah. Gentlemen. Hmm. James, go ahead. Sorry, well, that was no, long-winded. I, I don't usually talk that long. But. No, well, I, I just wanted to comment on that because that's still, I mean, you said it's 27 years old now, right? That documentary? No, the documentary is from 19, it was shot in 78, but it's from 1982, directed by Francis Morton. So the documentary is now 41 years old, James. I but hadn't seen it in 20 years. Shot in 16 And there's some great, by the way, being a 45-year-old man, one last thing, some of the T-shirts, the, the Greers would just be a saliva. Some of the vintage, there was a great kid with, with a fantastic empire strides back. And I was like, that son of a bitch, that right there, that's, that's because it's shot from 78 to 80, you know? Well, but you know, and, and so what, what I think is really relevant about that though is, so that's 40 some years old. Yeah. But how relevant is that still today? It's the for same thing. Is the for same certain areas. Is not changed. Yeah, I mean, and, and and I think about members of my own family that have now my family because of uh, uh, a certain FDR tends to be certain members, certain areas of my family. I should say I, I don't want I don't want any of my relatives to listen to this. <laughs> anyway, uh, listen want, to this and and uh, think that I'm talking about them. But I do have some relatives. There is a small section of my family that are straight ticket Democrats. All right. But it's the same thing, right? I mean, I literally have heard them say, well, I'd feel bad about it if a terrible person ran as a Democrat. But if they get the ticket, I got to vote for them, right? Yeah. And I don't I don't understand that mentality. But anyway, so I, I just wanted to say, it's funny to me that this is 40-some years away. And we're still, there's still parts of Kentucky that still very much function that exact same way. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed one little bit. The only thing that has changed is a lot of people are now actually a lot of the players in this are still alive. They're not even dead. Some are on the fence. Some they may be on the so, fence, but they're not dead yet. Yeah. Well, um, so James, I'll go. go. Uh, this is what I mentioned it before, but I'm fascinated by it. I, I, it, I can't get it out of my head, which is a sign of a good documentary, I think. Is it, you can, I've seen a ton of documentaries. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I stopped thinking about it. But this one fascinates me. And, and I, I mentioned these two before, so they're going to know what I'm talking about. Simply because I never knew, like, I knew there are collectors. And I knew there are people who collect things that I don't collect. I did not realize that there was a time period called the 1990 when when you could import something that was more valuable gram for gram, this is actually true, gram for gram than cocaine or gold. Now, is this a, the documentary that you and I watched a while back and both were fascinated by this one dude? I can't stop thinking about it. It's like it's crawled into my head and I'm like, I want to know what he's up to now. It's so a, this he's is, a fascinating guy. This And this gentleman, he does, and he admits it, in the, he has some mental uh, it's not mental disability. He has some neuroses. Mm -hmm. He has, he's, he's, um, not your squirrel is, shit. This is a story about a gentleman who literally almost didn't leave his house. He was kind of a shut in. Have you said the title yet? No, no, no I'm getting going. to it because once okay. I get the title, it'll, it'll, but do you remember Joe, what his actual obsession was? It wasn't what he smuggled. No, I don't remember. 
It was cereal box. Yeah, that's right. You're absolutely right. He wanted cereal boxes, and he had them flattened. And then what he started to do, he didn't want the prize inside the cereal. Remember, this is the 1980s mm-hmm. and 90s. His story starts. He didn't want the prize. He just wanted the box. And by the way, I was watching the movie again, and I was like, man, he does have like some rare boxes and some like you know that have Star Trek on them, I Star Wars releases. And but he Who had knows? to find he a way get to the point. <laughs> yeah, no, he had to find a way to support his addiction. And what his son convinced him to start doing was selling the prizes that came in the cereal at like collector shows. So he started to leave his house, but then his son finds out that there are some people that are obsessed with collecting something and it's that it is available in America, but that we don't get all of them. And that if he would just go to Europe and start smuggling them to America, he could make a fortune. And that's exactly what he does because he starts to smuggle Pez. Pez. He the movie is called Pez Outlaw and it sounds ludicrous. It's a lot it, of fun. It really does because it literally at one point and I don't know if you remember this. The scene that fascinates me is where he goes, and that's when Pez America had people start to stalk me. <laughs> and it cuts to somebody that represents Pez America and goes, that absolutely did not happen. And then it cuts to somebody that else that works for Pez America, and they go, it absolutely did happen. Did happen. Did I happen. was who they paid to follow yep. him every time he went overseas. Because what he would do is he would go to Austria, I think, is one of the first places he went. He was going behind the Iron Iron Curtain. Iron Curtain, yeah. These places were still communist run. And he would go in, and so he found one of the designers in one of the factories. Because the way it works, and what's fascinating to me, to me it's also fascinating because of international copyright law. Because Pez America failed to file one form. Because mm-hmm. technically, Pez America's agreement with Pez International is they wouldn't send anything that Pez America didn't approve. Yep. But because Pez America didn't file an import form with the TSA, yep. that was unregulated. So he just goes over and fills up luggage with these Pez, and then he starts going to just hanging out at Pez factories, and he meets one of the designers. And he says, hey... Uh, can I see what you're designing? And that guy had designed, and now you can actually buy them in America, but it was Bubble Boy. It mm-hmm. looks like a kid getting ready to blow a bubble, a bubble gum. And at that time, they were just in prototype. But he goes, oh, that's really cool. And the guy literally goes, oh, I'm glad you like my work. Do you want some? And gave him the prototypes. And he, they weren't available in America. They weren't. They literally were just stamped Pez, but that was it. And he comes over and he sells one right away for $15,000. And he has a suitcase for of prototypes. Yep. He ends up becoming ludicrously wealthy off of selling smuggled pets. I won't give away the ending of it because it's got a really kind of tragic ending. In yeah, some let's way. just say it doesn't work out for everybody involved. But every time somebody denies it, there's somebody else in the interview who goes, oh, no, that totally happened. Yeah, that totally. I mean, they were stalking him. They were doing, but it that one played... guy did sell him prototypes. The one guy who was over the factory <laughs> was selling to him. Yeah, and it's funny because they go, I don't, I don't, I vaguely remember his name. And literally, it shows yes. photos of them together and stuff like that. It's just hilarious. But at the same time, it almost functions like a James Bond style movie. As Joe said, he's going behind the Iron Curtain. He is not, by the way, he doesn't speak the language. And his son he, has to help him with everything because he has mental issues. Yeah, he is a shut-in. And, and then one thing I will say is his wife gets sick. 
And that's when he he says, you know, he, he's tired of fighting. But it's just a fascinating look because there's this great scene early in the movie where you're like, oh, you know he's not dead because they're interviewing him for the documentary. But early on, the first time he goes behind the Iron Curtain, there's a roadblock. And his son pulls up. They have guns on them. And it cuts to him going, yeah, I assume we were dead. And then it, and then his son goes, I'm just going to put the car in reverse and see what happens. They just back away slowly and nobody chases them. It's a fascinating documentary about intellectual property and all that stuff. But at the heart of it is this guy that just likes cereal boxes and needed to support his fandom. It's yep. fascinating. It's one of the most compelling just because you get, I literally put it on because I'm like, Pez Outlaw, what's this about? I was like, I'll give it 10 minutes. And if I'm not by 10 minutes, I was like, no, I got to see how this guy's still alive. <laughs> I got to see. It's fascinating. So if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, I believe, Pez Outlaw. Yep. It's a very human story that's also sometimes funny, sometimes tragic, but it's it just shows you this guy had an idea. Actually, his son had the idea, but he followed through and he just kept going, what are they going to do to me? What are they going to do to me? And he did it for a de oh, decades, almost two and, decades. And, and truthfully, they didn't really do a lot other than finally stop a lot of it. Well, not yeah, they, they found a way to, yeah, they found a way to take away his power, so to speak. But by then, had he played, had he played the game, and, and he played and the long game, game. the yeah, long had game. He, yes, he would have been okay. But he he kept. Uh, but I mean, he literally paid for. He had people working for him. He paid their way through college. I mean, the amount of people he actually helped is another fascinating part of it. So, yeah. Pez Outlaw, it shouldn't make sense, but good lord, it's it's a fascinating documentary that's a lot of fun. Yep, Chad. Ooh, I don't know where to go. I'll be honest with you. Hell. So I'm. <laughs> um. Oh, well, Satan's a heat in his pitchforks for you. Well, since James, James talked about the Iron Curtain, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on that track. Uh, for uh, my hold on. For those of you that may be in my family, um, and, and you're wondering what he's saying, that's Arn Kurt. Arn Kurt. Sorry, I was just translating for my family. Go ahead, Chad. Um, I want to talk about a, a great documentary um, called Chuck Norris versus Communism. Gentlemen? I, that's seen? one you've got me. I've seen Pez Outlaw twice. Three times, once in slow-mo. But the point... <laughs> He's three times a lady, and I don't know what you're talking about. So Chuck Norris versus Communism is an amazing documentary. It's about um, Ro Romania in the 1980s, uh, where the, the, the communist regime was so uh, oppressive that the, the people couldn't do anything. Uh, they had them pretty much locked down to working and going home, and that was it. There was no outlet... For these individuals so it's about this documentary about how this secret group of people would smuggle in bootlegged vhs copies of american movies and they would have these viewing parties and basements or or other or people's apartments and of course because they were uh in english and the people in romania were so blocked out from the rest of the world they they there was they had this secret Two, two people who would translate over what the actors were saying in the movies into Romanian so the people could actually enjoy the movies. And it's all about how these this secret underground of VHS tapes traveled 
into the cities and it honestly, and in a lot of the ways the filmmaking and the art of film helped inspire these people to rise up against communism. Um, it is a, it, it's a great movie and it talk, they talk about the movies that they watched uh, Chuck, and Chuck Norris was one of them because they could easily get a hold of Canon films um, on VHS. Uh, but they talked about, you know, and the plot didn't matter. Right. Uh, getting a hold of uh, Bruce Lee films and uh, other uh, like other uh, just other movies and it would just and and movies I'll be honest with you it was hard to watch because you know the actors would be the like Chuck Norris would be talking but over Chuck Norris would be a woman who was just basically repeating what they what she said what they said in Romanian but this was their going to the movie theater every Friday night it was these people in these basements and 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 small apartments crammed in like 30 at a time watching these American movies that we take for granted. Um, it's, it's a great story. And they, they, they do a lot of reenactments throughout the whole documentary and interviewing the people who were living there at that time and what this meant for them. It's, it's a great moving picture, especially if you love film. Well, I was going to say, and I think that's fascinating because I haven't seen it, but now I want to, because I think that's the entire thing mm -hmm. is there is something about film, even if you don't speak the language of the film, right? I mean, right you can convey an image and it has emotions, even if you don't have the words. Yeah. It's kind of funny that you mentioned that. Um, last night I watched uh 3000 years of longing. Yeah. How was it? The uh, volume was down. <laughs> I, I know I legitimately enjoyed it. I thought it was a great film till Tilda Swinton. I, she's one of my favorite actresses. She can do no wrong. And Idris Elba, another amazing. Tilda Swinton, by the way, uh, for those that, uh, don't know who she is, you'll know her best from Constantine. <laughs> anyway, it's a great role, Chad. And she um, does it well. She does it well. I don't care what you think about the movie, but she, she does that role. Well, mm -hmm. well, it's, it's on two streaming services. Now it's on Paramount plus and it's on Amazon prime. Uh, I chose Amazon prime. So I didn't have to deal with the ads. I could just watch the movie. Um, but there's a lot there's a lot of Idris Elba back long ago talking these different languages and there was no subtitles. And I was honestly, I had no idea what was going on, but I was too enthralled with his performance and the other actors performances to care. It was only midway through that I found out that, uh, and it's true with a lot of Amazon prime films, if there's subtitles, they don't add the subtitles. You have to go yeah, I don't know why. I think I've, I've found that out before too. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, have, so I went a, to, there's an actual thing you have to do, right? No, there's nothing you can do. They actually turn it off. I could be wrong about this. I couldn't find anything. I thought Maybe you could I go in and, and there's a like a there's basically a button you click. But I forgot how. Apropos of nothing, gentlemen. By the way, but have you ever watched any of our episodes with with the auto generated subtitles? No, on? I should. I can only imagine. Oh, it's it awful. is. It is a good time. No, it does a pretty good job, but when it messes up, oh, it's spectacular oh it's, it's oh yeah it's phenomenal. yeah uh but uh but i went to i switched to paramount prime just so i could actually see the subtitles and i'm like it helped because there was parts where like oh that makes sense now but honestly yeah i can see back to james's point it was just enthralled with the movie enthralled with the movie the images the the reactions the the drama um and that's what these people went through so yeah it's it's a great film especially if you love history uh, communist uh, history about anything communism and and movie making. It's it's a great move, great film to watch. Joe, yeah, uh, that's actually interesting. I'll have to go back to that. There's a whole subtext or subset of people who think you know Dallas had as much to do with bringing down the wall as Reagan. 
if not more, because people got entertainment and wanted to go live those lives and didn't like you were talking about why yeah no it's just reagan bringing down communism it had had nothing to do with reagan right so five other presidents (laughs) now this one is a little bit actually this one's political so it leads right into when i was trying to pick my second one the first one was because i had a really great experience not only with the documentary and knowing people but also with my dad and it makes sense and 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 by the way, I forgot to say, see Alan Munsey talking about the liberal uh, media and why they were coming after him because of naming this Richard M. Nixon Center. James, back to your point of nothing really changes. No, no. It, it's the same shit. Just regurgitates. I'm going to move oh, on. I, I do want to point out real quick. If you want to see about how history is, is never changes, uh, the Dollop podcast that they they do deep dives in a lot of history they're they're a history podcast and they do a lot of deep dives and they go throw you show you yeah nothing's changed it's all it's it's always been this way i I mean and i'm ruining my own career here but i'm gonna say it i've made i mean everything that i've published as a quote-unquote scholar has been centered on the idea oh you think this is new let me show you i mean my most cited research now by the way now cited by 30 different sources uh is a history of pandemics in higher education right yeah and, and why did that catch on because of covid yes i started the work on it before covid ever happened but then covid happened and then oh what does it look like oh people were required to wear masks people were and then people protested the mask. none of that stuff is new none of us are original if we looked at history, we would know this all happened before with previous pandemics and epidemics and all that stuff. We're just repeating it, but we're too silly to look backwards and see the solutions that happened then. Which and that's leads, how I claim to fame. Which Go ahead, leads Jim. me to the documentary I want to pick that I caught maybe 15 years ago, whenever, and it has stuck with me. And it was hard picking because this is a fairly serious, actually, both of these are kind of serious. But this one's really serious. It's The Fog of War, directed by Errol Morris, about Robert McNamara. If you don't know who that is, he was a genius of his time, but he ended up being the secretary of, uh, I think, defense for who? Just tell us, Joe. Kennedy. Just well, say, I was hoping you sons of bitches would love. I, th- I thought, I thought. It Kennedy was, and then a little bit of Nixon. So in Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. So he continued until 1968 under President Johnson. I thought he was actually under Nixon, but he wasn't. And he's actually famous a little bit before then just for making cars because a lot of people talk about, oh, what's his name ran for president? Oh, God, my name, my mind just slipped. He used to run all the time with the Green Party. So he's the one oh. that put seatbelts in cars. Oh, Nader. Nader. But actually, Matt Manera is one that came up with the and it was brought into uh, the automobile industry of how do we because there was people were dying and a lot of people were dying on the roads in the late 50s, early 60s. Basically, it was the idea of, well, how the hell are we getting eggs to your house? How are we getting eggs to the store? Does that make sense to you, gentlemen? Yeah. Yeah. So they took that and applied it to cars. The reason the car is more safe today It's just one of many. And he was brought in to be this person during the Kennedy administration. But what he's secretary of defense, but what he's really kind of 
famous and infamous for is that the Cuban Missile Crisis, Vietnam, all these things that happened during that time happened under him. And he wrote a book about how to, oh, well, let's see what the title is. It's basically the books, you know, about how not to get into trouble and how you try to, of course, of the, over the documentary, he distills McManaris for philosophy into 11 basic tenets, okay? Lesson number one is empathize with your enemy. He even ended up talking to some of the people in Vietnam afterwards. And if he, back to James, your point, if they had studied Vietnam and been and actually thought about it, nothing had changed there either. Yeah. Nothing had changed there either. And they weren't a student of history. Lesson two, rationality alone will not save you. He actually says a lot of the stuff that happened that prevented us from having a nuclear war with Kennedy, Khrushchev, and Castro when it came to the Cuban Missile Crisis was stupid luck. It was more than likely that it would have happened. There are some things that are beyond oneself is lesson number three. Number four is maximize efficiency. Number five is proportionality should be guideline in war, right? So you cannot destroy, <clears throat> talks about portions of cities destroyed in Japan by the U.S. before the dropping of the nuclear bomb, comparing the destroyed Japanese cities to similar sized cities in the U.S. Tokyo, roughly the size of New York City, was 51% destroyed. He says, LeMay once said that had the United States lost a war, they would have been tried for war crimes and agrees with his assessment. Does that make sense? Especially for dropping the two big bombs on Japan. But mm -hmm. we didn't lose the war. Lesson six, get the data. Number seven, belief and be seeing are both often wrong. Number eight, be prepared to reexamine your reasoning. Number nine, in order to do good, you may have to engage in evil. Number 10, never say never. And number 11, you can't change human nature. Talks about the fog of war and how many things only become clear in hindsight. When you're in the middle of why does the Vietnam War happen? Because you're in the middle of it and you think you're fighting communism and you feel that if Southeast Asia falls, communism will spread even more throughout Asia than throughout Europe. You think this is going to happen and you're not a student of history. And these are really smart people. Uh, but by you're the way, in the fog of war. It's a fascinating documentary. And if you and it's all archival footage and him being interviewed. James. It, well, what I was gonna say, you reminded me, and this is this is a graphic novel if you're interested, and, and it's by a French gentleman who I'm blank blanking on the name of if anybody wants to James, look up. Are you on Mars? What? Are you on Mars right now? No, you sure? Because those sunglasses—it really looks like you're looking out that's at Mars right now. No, and if I was, I wouldn't tell you because I can't wait to. Like, it's either Mars or the Savannah. Hey now, I can't, hey, love. I can't wait till we conquer. Oh God, you, it would but... be so great if a lion just came and jumped on his head right now. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm at home in the basement. Name <laughs> <laughs> your, your no, I can't. I can't comment. But once you humans fall. Anyway, now what I was gonna say is there's there's a really great graphic novel and there's there's a follow up they did, uh, and it's by a French. James, there's a meerkat gentleman. eating your nose. No, it's not. <laughs> there, it's by a French gentleman. I'm blanking on the name of, but it's called The War of the Trenches. And it looks his at name World is War Whoa. It looks at World War One. It's him telling the story of his grandfather. Um, but it's really fascinating. If you get a chance, I know you all don't read books, but if you get a chance, you should. Uh, War of the Trenches is, is one of the most compelling 
much like Joe, you talked about uh, what's that? What's that movie you keep talking about? Quite on the Western Front. Yeah, it is much the same. Very good. It is much the same way, except it's done as a graphic novel because his his he tells a story about how his grandfather, um, was bringing food to soldiers in the trenches, and uh, you know, getting shot at while he was trying to do it because you had to get down into the trenches and uh, you got to get down into trenches. He got uh yeah. he got pinned down by enemy fire and he had to spend the whole night. Is this your documentary? Uh, down uh, no but he, anyway it turns out he was on top of a bunch of corpses that had started to decay and he yeah. thought he was in mud but it was just people's intestines and stuff uh but it's, anyway it's another great uh great thing to look at so if you get a chance that uh, the the first book in the series is called uh war of the trenches and it's about world war one from the All french right. point of view anyway am i supposed to do a documentary now i yeah. that'd be great i'll give it a shot Actually, Joe, it's funny that you brought up an Apple Shop one because I'm trying to do the ones that have stuck with me. Pez Outlaws Fun. This is a documentary I saw shortly after it premiered. And it premiered, it played at, I don't know, the Guggenheim and a bunch of film festivals. But then for some reason, Apple Shop, yeah, uh, and their infinite wisdom said, hey, let's bring it to this, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I would have been maybe a junior in college, we'll bring it to this classroom and show students on campus. And, and, you know, and so I went to a screening of it on campus. Um, but it's, it's one that I, again, I, when I first watched it, I didn't know it would stick with me, but I can remember it well, 20 some years later. Um, and it's called stranger with the camera. Have either of you all seen stranger with the camera? It, it sounds Only with familiar. candy. So it, it's about, it does a fascinating job, and it's directed by Elizabeth Barrett, who grew up in Letcher County. And it's about her, like, she's trying to look back at something that happened in her youth and, and, and analyze it. And the reason it's called Stranger with a Camera, and, and you all know this story well, at least in theory, about it, it, every few years it'll flare up again, right? There'll be this, oh, people coming, like, uh, it's now been several years ago, but American Idol did that thing where it talks about Eastern Kentucky and they all have Mountain Dew mouth and all. And a lot of people in Eastern Kentucky got mad because, oh, we're not all like that. You're not showing the true Eastern Kentucky, blah, 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 blah. Right. This documentary actually looks at one of the most extreme cases that, again, history repeats itself. But in 1967, Canadian filmmaker Hugh O'Connor uh, was part of a large group. There was a bunch of filming that happened in Eastern Kentucky that was trying to document poverty because there was a war on poverty. Nutrition. Uh, that had started years earlier. Well, Hugh O'Connor is a Canadian filmmaker dispatched to Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, to document all of this poverty and stuff like that. The problem is... A lot of that poverty had already been documented, and a lot of Kentuckians were getting sick of being made fun of by national media about, oh, look, they're all poor, dumb, ignorant, backwards people, hillbillies, yada, yada, yada. And so uh, one afternoon when Hugh O'Connor was gone, yeah. uh, they, they were staying with a family in a rental house in Jeremiah, Kentucky. And the landowner found out they were there filming. And, of course, it was on his land. He, in his view, had not invited them to film there. 
He was not happy that they were, in his point of view, making Kentucky look like ignorant, backward savages. Right. So what did Hobart Ison do? Pulled a gun. Killed him. Didn't just pull it. Shot him dead. Yep. Now, what's really interesting about this, though, is it's Barrett trying to – she interviews both sides. She goes back and she goes – you know, she finds these people and goes, no, Hobart was right. He was making yet another documentary saying not how can we lift these people up or how can we address the issue. It was another look at these dumb, ignorant people. Aren't you glad you're better than them? Now, of course, she interviews the other side and they were like, no, that's that's not who Hope, that's not who O'Connor was. O'Connor wanted to tell the whole story. O'Connor wanted to show these are people with a proud heritage and they have a background. They have a history. Right. And. Barrett goes through and she takes, she keeps going both sides and she, in her own words, is trying to find a resolution to this because it happened when she was in high school and she's trying to figure out which side makes more sense. Or maybe she was elementary school, middle school, but she remembered it. When Ison went on trial for the murder in 1968, it was a hung jury 11 to 1 for conviction. So they have to do a retrial. He's sentenced to 10 years in prison. He serves one year and is released. But what I find compelling about it, and what I do remember the most about it is, at the end, Barrett includes herself in the documentary, and she says it has no resolution because both sides are arguably right. Both sides have realized that, you know, there are people that want to exploit Eastern Kentucky. I right. mean, quite frankly, there's a long history of Eastern Kentucky being exported. Correct. Of the Appalachian region being exported. Right. But on the other side, how can we address the the issues that are real if we don't let people know these are real issues, right? Right. And so Barrett has a couple different quotes, and I'll read these quickly, then I'll shut up. Um Barrett concludes the documentary saying a couple of lines, and I'll, I'll quote some of the lines. The ties that bind communities together are not always positive. Suspicion of those who are different, defining yourself only in opposition to others. These can tie a community together, but can also lead to violence. As I said, she admits that there, uh, there's no resolution, despite her hoping to find one. And she then ends the documentary posing this question. What are the responsibilities of any of us, and keep in mind she's a filmmaker herself, what are the responsibilities of any of us who take the images of other people and put them to our own use? Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating documentary, and it's one of those things, and Joe, I know you have a story about the, about somebody getting killed over because dog, of stuff yeah. over a dog, but you know, you tell that story one way and people are like, oh, that's how uncivilized. But at the same time, if you're in that environment, that kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. And I think that's what yeah. makes this a really compelling documentary because even if you just heard my summary and went, oh my God, he killed him just for filming. But at the same time, if you're a landowner and you own rental properties at that and you have somebody showing up going, oh, don't live here. God, look at how awful this place is. Right. That's somebody literally trying to destroy your livelihood. Now, was O'Connor actually doing that? Again, she talks about in the documentary that no, he, a lot of his other films actually show, well, here's a complete story. So would it have been that? We will never know. But it, again, as Joe mentioned an Apple Shop film, this is another Apple Shop. If you've never seen anything about Apple Shop, check out some of their stuff. It is obviously set around Appalachia, mm -hmm. but they're fascinating documentaries. And so Stranger with a Camera is a great one. 
And if you get a chance, check it out because it is a very human story. It runs about 60 minutes. Right. Came out in 2000. All right. Chad. My, my words, you guys are so serious. I know. Why so serious? So I, I did not go this route. Um, so I love stand up comedy. Um, I'm not a big fan of concerts. I don't really care for going to see a group perform on a stage of uh, music that I could hear perfectly fine on a CD and not deal with insane people. Um, That's but I, I, I will drop a hat to go see a stand up comedian at any time. It's why would you need I'm, to drop your hat? Yeah. Cause uh, sometimes it's distracting to other people when I wear my big pimp hat everywhere I go. I was going to say, it's, it's the fact that pimp hat? Why it's the fact I? that you demand on wearing Slash's hat everywhere. I think there's yeah. a lot of reasons why you wouldn't. Nah, I don't. I can't think of any. But um, so there's three comedy documentaries on my list, but I want to pick out the one that stands out the most to me, and that is Gilbert. Oh, uh, that's good. That was a good. That was the best movie I saw two years ago. The, it's a documentary about Gilbert Gottfried. Now we lost Gilbert Godfrey last year. It's one of those. Well, maybe uh, he'll turn up. <laughs> it's one of those pa- uh, deaths that <laughs> well, actually... we just got dig. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And Gilbert would laugh if he heard it. I actually yes. probably say that was a pretty hack joke, but yeah, yeah, well, he'd be uh, hacking on dirt, bitch. He was one. He was one of those deaths that I took hard. It was you know I've never met the man, never seen him, don't know him personally, but it hit me hard. Gilbert Godfrey was one of those people who been around since I was young. Uh, I I love his podcast. His comedy, you know, is not for everyone. It's a very odd uh, comedy. He actually he he kept some of his bits from when he first started, still in his act till he passed. Uh, he never he reinvented himself barely. <laughs> Um, but watching this documentary about being with Gilbert, about who Gilbert was, fascinated me for the hour and 45 minutes it was on. It's, it's the, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you 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 think Gilbert's this crazy, maniacal nutball, but in reality, he's just a, a, a husband crazy. and his father. Huh? He's still fairly crazy. He's still fairly crazy. The whole the whole thing about him and his uh, hotel, what he got from hotel rooms is borderline nut. It, it's it's bizarre. Yeah, it's it's like my mom had a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, at the same time, he he was a loving son, loving uh, brother, family man. You know, he was he was a really good guy. Just had his own his own eccentric, um, eccentricities. Was, eccentricities. Thank you. I couldn't get it out. The the two parts about that documentary that I love, and that I remember really really well, and they they've stuck with me because again, it's been a couple of years since I, I've seen it. Yeah. But but he has a line, and I think I think he attributes it to Orson Welles or somebody else. I may be wrong, but uh, it's that it doesn't matter who you are. The talent enters through the kitchen. <laughs> like you don't walk up the main door if you're the talent you have to enter through the back it's a great line um and then uh and then his entire thing about first thing i do when i get off stage is i wash out my socks <laughs> i don't know why that part of the document and then he has that entire thing do you remember this chad yes i remember the, the sock thing where, where he the has socks? the entire thing about oh yeah he, he goes off on the mini tyrant not really a tirade he's, he's saying it 
perfectly calmly. But he goes, I've read that the, the, the bubbles don't mean anything. So don't worry about the bubble. Like, he just keeps going on about washing out his socks in the, in the hotel sink after a show. Yeah. But it's one of those things that I don't know. I found it oddly even more endearing to me. Like I liked yeah. Gilbert Godfrey before, but then it's like his number one concern when he gets off stage is I need to wash up my socks. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not, I'm going to go pop some champagne or, or do cocaine or, you know, some of the, which I don't, yeah, but, but no, it, it really humanizes him. And at yeah. the same time, it, I, I walked away from that documentary being reminded. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're of a certain age, you've been exposed to Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whether it be Disney, whether it be car or whether it be insurance commercials, whether yeah. it be nobody escaped Gilbert Godfrey. And, you know, you know, there's like one of the best stories as I, I still remember the story, you know, Gilbert Godfrey never took a plane or a car. He drove a bus. He went on a bus to every show. And I'll just remember Bill Burr ripping on him. them interviewing Bill Burr about why the hell does he still take a bus? How does he go on that bus? Yeah, I can't, I'm not going to quote it because I don't remember the quote, but Bill Burr just ripping on Gilbert as he, for taking a bus is hysterical. Um, and then too, you know, you see him recording his podcast and that's still, I, I, I don't know if Joe ever went back to watch, listen to it. And I don't think Jane, but, but Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast was one of my favorite things to listen to. I listen. I used to listen to him all the time. I haven't listened to him in, in a while. Right. But, um, what <laughs> I was saying is I don't know if, what I don't know if you listen to is I don't know if you listen to the very last one. Mm -mm. Um, and uh, Frank Santrapadre, who was his co-host, got on and did this amazing uh, eulogy at the end of it. And I cried. I was in my car crying like I could like I had, to, you know, I've almost had to pull over because it was just it was so deep. And I always thought back to this documentary about, you know, I, it made you feel like he were you were he were a friend of his because it got so personal with Gilbert. And I highly recommend Gilbert as a uh, as something to check out. And he's a huge ass geek. You're both leaving one important thing about it. He's a big. He had a life size Frankenstein in his. In he his loved life. horror films. There is yes. a Fango from the '80s where he would hang out in Fangoria and going through the magazines. Now I know why cheap bastard wouldn't buy them. And he was obsessed with models. He loved models. Like yeah. if you and if you listen to him on his podcast, he always talked about his Universal Monster mo models. Yeah, he's just a big ass nerd like us. Yeah. All right, my last one is, I was going back and forth, gentlemen, because there's one I like a little bit better than this, but we've talked about it on the show quite a bit, and it's an Eastern Kentucky thing, and I think we've killed Eastern Kentucky enough. But I discovered this documentary when I was 15, 16 years old, and I, and I also became obsessed with a lot of the music because these two gentlemen know that my taste in music is 20 years, if not more, before my time. Uh, the Woodstock documentary is uh, one of my thing I, I i wouldn't say it's it's the best documentary ever made but it's also probably one of the documentaries i've watched the most simply going back to relive and watch the live music of probably who knows arguably one of the greatest concert venues and definitely the most no remember remembered of any of all time woodstock actually lost money and where they made the money was from this documentary because it ended up making 50 million dollars when they sold the rights to the documentary because it was all documented when these guys put it together michael lang and, and i can't remember the other when they put it together 
Woodstock didn't make money. It was on August 15th to 18th, 1969, with probably some of the greatest performers, most of them now dead, there. And have either one of you ever bothered to watch the whole documentary? Or have you just... I, I'll, I'll seen be honest, I've seen parts, but I haven't I have it because it's Woodstock isn't something that interests me. But it's so. probably the greatest musical festival of all time. Did you not hear my last conversation? I was about- saying he just I know, said he doesn't. but I sat there listening to him going, but you also just hate America. I don't know that I would have enjoyed being there, but it would have loved to have been there. There's a, someone who I got to talk to recently in the last year or two who was there. He remembers parts of it. Well, about for the way, obvious reasons. The reason I'm laughing is for some reason you talking about it, I flash back to, and it's not a a, a sketch that gets played often from Family Guy, but there's a Family Guy episode where Stewie goes, "Yeah, like the time I performed at that big rock concert," and it's Woodstock, of course. Yeah, and he he's talking about how some of these bands need to calm down, and then he gets on and he, of course, plays the song "Establishment, Establishment." Yeah, you always know what's best. So the and movie, I I the movie came out in 1970 on March 26th. It's almost four hours long. I can't imagine. Can you imagine a documentary coming out today, almost four hours long, making fifty million dollars? And we're talking fifty million dollars that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it would it would be. There's I'll no be honest. There's people that are a little bit nervous about the fact Oppenheimer has a close to a four hour runtime. Somebody said. And, oh, and I've got to see that. But it's, I, still, yeah, no, it's cool. still setting at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And if you've never done it, if you're interested in the music and interested in the counterculture, and I was if obsessed. If you've never done Woodstock, I don't think if you've never watched the, If you've never watched the documentary, I was obsessed with counterculture. And I probably still have a lot of interest in it, just not as much as I did at 15, 16, 17 years old. Five hundred. So it's time people, to take that rotten cheese off your kitchen counter, buddy. 500,000 people. It's counterculture. Yeah, that's a really big stretch on that joke. Five hundred people. Is it? Is it really? A little bit. The National Guard Me. medical supplies. Do it for nothing else other than to watch Country Joe and the Fish perform live. Country Joe and the Fish. So check out Woodstock. I was trying to find where it was actual streaming, and I can't find it without having to pay for it, which is really sad. I should own that on DVD. Who's next? Not Blu-ray or. 4k just dvd well it's probably all shot in 16 millimeter it's like watching evil dead on blu-ray high def going well yeah there's the lines yep james the same as watching my grainy version growing up going i don't know what to mean this doesn't look too bad on the third generation copy (laughs) (laughs) on a a much smaller television on a much smaller television yeah uh you know, I wasn't going to do it because I've talked about it before. But uh, if we're talking about documentaries that stuck with us, and that also we are talking about documentaries, yeah, that that, that but that also that have a hundred percent. That's you. You're the one who on, made the final decision on it today about it being documentaries instead of next week's episode. Oh, well, I know, but hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and y'all knew I'd bring it up, didn't you? Y'all have set me up for this. A, a documentary that started filming in 1981, originally for a segment that was supposed to air as part of PBS and then took on a life of its own, following one Harlan J. Ellison. Dreams with sharp teeth, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and honestly, you don't have to like Harlan Ellison. Matter of fact, if you like Neil Gaiman, buy the DVD. Honestly, there's a 30-minute bonus feature of them sitting around eating pizza. Robin Williams, Gaiman. if you're a Robin Williams fan, buy Robin Williams. Rob Williams and him were really close. 
and and he's not in the documentary, but later in his life, Pat Oswald and him were really close. Um, Pat Oswald, Ellison, after this documentary, had a stroke, and Oswald was one of the first people to visit him in the hospital. Um, and came out going, no, he's fine. He was aggravated because he couldn't remember the name of a silent film star for about five minutes, and he was getting aggravated. But other than that, his memory is great. Um, but originally, this was started, a 24-year-old student, Eric Nelson, was originally hired by PBS to shoot footage of him typing on his typewriter, and that footage is in the documentary. But then he just, Ellison said, if you want to keep filming, you can. And so if you watch the documentary, you can tell it shot at all different times across several different years. And Ellison treated him, and this is a quote, as a fan working on a student project for the rest of the time. And there's footage in the thing where he literally talks to him like, "Are you? do you know how to shoot? Are we wasting my time? Don't, don't waste my time. But it has, if you follow us on, on Twitter, we have shared the footage often that pay the writer footage, very relevant to what's going on right now with the WGA, comes right. from this documentary. And and so this was shot literally over the course of 20 years of just dropping in on Ellison at different times, whatever he was ranting and raving about at the time. And Ellison is a phenomenal writer. But Ellison was also somebody that has always pushed back against whatever was going on. He marched with MLK. That's a great story. But he also was known for being pretty cantankerous. For more information, see the episode where we did pretty much after after his death. We did an entire episode about it. And there's a great story about how he treated Joe and I. Um, He treated me wonderfully. He hit you. Well, I mean, I earned it. And by wonderful, I said, also, hey, James, watch this. And also, you got told what you should go do. Phenomenal writer? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely phenomenal. I just writer. wanted to piss both of y'all. Well, you didn't make me mad. No. Yes, I did. I, Obviously, I just, you looked you up. You showed you have no taste, but other than that. Um, but so the, the film has screened several different times. I hope it, you're. It's got, I hope you're. I hope the vacuum of space sucks you in any minute. It um, it would still be better than a conversation with somebody that doesn't know what a great writer is. Anyway, <laughs> no, wait, wait. You said phenomenal. He was Not also great. great. He was both, Chad. <laughs> I he, mean, he, he was good. He could walk in both worlds, Chad. No, but there's all honestly. There's also even if you don't care about him as an author, even if you don't. There's also very, very human moments in it because Nelson finds footage of his father and Ellison lost his father when he was 12. Um, and he, he had not seen Maybe footage. Maybe he'll turn up. He had, he, he had not <laughs> seen footage of his dad and his, his, this filmmaker finds it and they record him seeing his dad move on film for the first time since he was 12 years old. And he, by the way, he found his own father dead. It's, it, it, he's a very, fascinating individual he's way um and so it it's very interesting because ellison was somebody that was quoted by stephen king he's he pops up in a lot of different things a lot i honestly less people know about him today than did in the 60s and 70s when he was huge but it's a fascinating story about different things about one man's writing about one man's life and about things they did. And the only thing Ellison ever went back and said about the documentary was he saw a rough cut and he said, there's no women. There's no women and no people of color. And I assure you, I've worked with both <laughs> over the years. And he made Nelson go back and interview uh, different 
writers. Uh, Ellison gets credit for discovering Octavia Butler, for instance, and, and some other people and encouraging her writing. And if you don't know who that is, go read her works because uh, another phenomenal author. But anyway, it's it's just a great documentary about somebody that was honestly near the end of his life, more known for his personality than his writing. Um, That's true. Uh, but both to me are absolutely fascinating. And I think you know who wrote better than Ellison, the person who wrote those Bazooka Joe comics that's fantastic. All fantastic. That, By the all, way, all, actually fantastic. I said, fantastic. All those little, all those little, that whole story and that little bitty piece of paper. I think you, th- Ellison you said fantastic. Shit. I, yeah, I was going to say, I heard fantastic too. Fantastic. Anyway, I think in your head, you said it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ellison at least can say the word fantastic. Anyway, the point being... I don't know, Jerry, say it. show me a recording. Did you, did you yeah, hear Jerry Reed say it? What? Uh, jumped up and bit him. Sorry. Anyway, um, but no, no, uh, uh, there's so much in the documentary. But again, as Joe said, Robin Williamson, they're actually the beginning of it is fascinating and a lot of fun because it's Robin Williams reading all the rumors about him online and him answering yes or no to all of them. Like, <laughs> push the fan down an elevator shaft. That never happened. Punch the producer of of uh, of uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or something. That did happen, and he deserved it. I mean, it's, it's just funny, because Robin Williams, and then they interview Robin Williams about him later on, and Robin Williams tells the story. He goes, literally one of the first times I met him, I go in, and he's riding, and he's literally, he's at the typewriter, but there's four random women just lounging around in various states of undress. And then Robin Williams, being Robin Williams, goes, women love, does an entire Bruce solo about how women love the little uh, Hasidic Jewish boy or something. It's, it's, it's a fascinating documentary just about what it was to be a writer. Because it also does talk about his, as the time period he refers to as honorable whoredom at a penny a word when he wrote under 15 different names. And sometimes he wrote the entire journal or the entire, uh, it would have been a pulp magazine. Mm-hmm. But they, of course, didn't want to say every story was by him. So he would be, you know, he'd made up different names for everything and then he would sell it. But, and so he talks about what it was like starting out as a writer, too. So it's, it's a fascinating slice of life, but also shots of the time. It's I, I had other ones that will be honorable mentions, but I couldn't not mention it because it is a documentary that means a lot to me. Chad. Cool. Um, I so will say this. Home. My honorable mentions, you know, you'll have to let me get through my honorable mentions because I got quite I got quite a few. Um, but I wanna my last pick is going to be one. Um I mentioned how much I love comedy um and the filmmaking, uh, but I've Cannot express if you want to go see how much of a cartoon fanatic I am. Go look at our previous episodes where we talk what for five or six episodes about seven eighties uh, and nineties cartoons. Yeah. Um, there's a great documentary called "I Know That Voice," where it goes and interviews all the different voice actors who you don't normally see, um, and get their opinions on the craft how and how they actually do the jobs that they do it, it is phenomenal um it you will you get to see all of them and uh you know so like uh if you want to see d bradley baker you may not know who he is but if you look up his list of credits you know it he's done everything but watching him like so show you how he does like a pig 
a pig's voice and slowly develops it. It's amazing. And then you get to see other voice actors like Kevin Richardson and Mark Hamill arguing with one another about who plays the better Joker. Um, and then Joe DiMaggio, you know, talking about Joe DiMaggio, uh, famous for voicing Bender and him going, talking about his day-to-day routine about how he had, how they have to, to stack jobs on top of one another where like the lighter jobs are at the beginning of the day. But by the end, he does, he has to do the ones where he's yelling or acting in a more guttural voice. Um, so it does just because by that point, his, his vocal cords will be shredded. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a phenomenal uh, documentary about the the art of voice acting and how they don't get credit for what they do um yeah i just can't express how much a a great a documentary that this is so i know that voice all right guys what's your honorable mentions james i'll let you go first uh one i have to mention just because i'm amazed it didn't come up before but we've chad talking about comedy maybe this is one gonna be one of your honorable mentions but it should be speaking of gilbert godfrey there is a documentary about a single joke, but it may be one of the best comedy yeah, documentaries. It was ever on my made. list. Uh, it's the Aristocrats, good. right? Yeah. If it, you've never seen the Aristocrats, it is probably the only way you could do a documentary. And so, the Aristocrats is, of course, about the joke the joke that was told com- comedians told other comedians. Yes, because back in the day, of course, it would be a violation of. It know, honestly was going to be one of my top three, but then Gilbert surpassed it. Um, yeah, the Aristocrats is an amazing documentary. It is in honorable mentions. Um, and then on top of that, uh, it's, it's one, the one, it's 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 the documentary that exposed me to seeing how dirty Bob Saget actually was. All I heard was you got exposed. There you uh, go. <laughs> um, do you want me to bring the camera down a little bit? <laughs> oh, I'd yeah. rather you not. <laughs> um. Another one, though, I wanted to mention, and I thought this may come up under Chad. Uh, there is a great documentary, and this is really relevant, I think, in the landscape we live in now, where there are so many comic book films that are out. Uh, and often those get accredited to one or two creators, right? Whereas most of these characters have been created and recreated over the years, but there's a James, great... if you're saying if you're going to bring the, I was going to mention this, but since I brought it up in a previous episode, that's why I chose not to. But go ahead. Uh, there's a great documentary, and Chad, I was going to say Chad did bring this up in a previous episode. Batman and Bill, yeah, is is a phenomenal documentary about Bill Finger, and Bill Finger created a lot of what we know as Batman today, right? Yeah. I, I mean. Uh, but Bob Kane fucking got Adam West gets all the credit. Uh, I really oh, wish I, if I had phenomenal cosmic power right now, I wouldn't use it to cure a disease. I would use it to literally reach through the screen and hand you a puzzle just so I say put this together. Put together, Nordberg. I will say this: there is a great portion of the document of that documentary where it talks about how he got to write one single episode of the, of the Adam West Batman and him watching the credits come up. It's it's a it's a very moving part of the documentary. Yeah, and so I I think that's another great documentary though because comics are quote unquote all the rage right now, and that's fine and well and all good. But I think it's one of the things that we do tend to not think about, right? And I'm I'm not knocking Stan Lee though. Several people, some of which have been guests on our show, would be the first to tell you Stan Lee gets a lot of credit that maybe he doesn't fully deserve. 
Uh, and it, I'm not it, knocking Stan Lee. Batman Ben Bill seriously is one of my favorite documentaries of all time. I just didn't bring it up because I talked about it previously. Uh, it is a very moving episode about somebody not getting the credit they they have, and also just you know somebody who did so much for us and did so and got so little. Uh, and then I, and I've brought this one up before, so it's going to be an honorable mention because uh, we brought it up actually. If if you follow along with our Australian friends on their podcast, I brought up F is for Fake before, which is another yeah. documentary that is just absolutely it's, compelling. Is it or isn't a documentary? It's so, the, it's so you know, it, it it's such a weird, I almost brought it and I was like, we've talked about it so many times, but it was, it's such an odd duck. Yeah, but I just, I, I argue that it is a documentary, though now how you feel about that, what have you, and the last honorable mention I will have before I shut up and let you all do yours is and we've talked about this in passing before on the show, but I think it's really relevant in this heyday where this franchise is booming back, and I'm so excited for the new season of which is going to have a crossover. I'm really looking forward to. But there's a lot of documentaries about Star Trek. Uh, William Shatner did The Captains, which is worth watching in and of itself. But one that I find utterly compelling is Chaos on the Bridge. Yeah, which is about Star Trek, and it's specifically about the making of Star Trek: The Next Generation. And I am a huge fan of the original series because that's what I grew up on. Uh, the Next Generation came out when I was about seven years old, and I started to watch it, but I had already been so inundated because it was syndicated, and we watched it every night, even though there was only seventy some episodes with the original series that it remains my favorite. Now that doesn't mean I don't enjoy any. Don't send me hate mail. I love all of Star Trek, but it Deep Space Nine. It does uh, no. I mean, arguably, Deep Space Nine is the most politically compelling. Mm-hmm. Chaos right. on the Bridge shows very much how none of that should have worked, how bad things were in the beginning, and it has a great lesson, I think. And I mentioned this before that sometimes, and I'm not knocking Gene Roddenberry. Uh, I'm not knocking George Lucas. I'm not, but sometimes things get better when the original creator steps away and new right. voices come in. And so, if you've not seen Chaos on the Bridge, even if you're not a huge Star Trek fan, it'll give you insight into politics of studios of all that stuff. Check out Chaos on the Bridge. Chad, let's wrap um, it up. real quickly. I will mention the one that I brought up for our our other podcast, Good Movie Monday, or we contribute to, and Joe will probably post that mini episode. Um sometime down the line uh but call me lucky mm-hmm. is a great pot a great uh documentary directed by done by bobcat goldthwaite about his friend who is a, a, fa- a somewhat famous comedian uh in the 70s and early 80s and then he dropped off the the chart to do a very important job uh that he took upon himself of catching sexual predators against children yeah, uh, it is a phenomenal episode. It is a phenomenal documentary. It's again one of my favorites, right up there with Batman and Bill. Um, I highly recommend checking that one out. Um, another one too, uh, where I have, I used to be into wrestling for a brief stint in my life, like four or five years of my life, I was into wrestling. Uh, there's a great documentary called Beyond the Mat that mm-hmm. goes behind the scenes and 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 focuses on. Uh, you know, four, f- three or four specific wrestlers. Um, it is very amazing to see what those people put themselves through just to get uh, put the, you know, entertain an audience uh, and the damage that it does to them. Mm-hmm. 
uh, so beyond the mat. Uh, uh, John Landis did two amazing documentaries. One's pretty well known, Mr. Warmth, the Don Rickles Project. Oh, God, I could watch that on repeat. Same here. Um, it was between that or Gilbert. Uh, so I had to go with Gilbert because Gilbert has a little bit more to me than than Don Rickles. But Don Rickles is one of those comedians that uh, all three of us has loved for uh, our entire lives. Um, and it was a great documentary. And then uh, he, John Landis also did another documentary called Slasher mm-hmm. about a car salesman who travels around and does uh, whenever they, they need to get rid of a bunch of cars real fast. They call him. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing documentary about the about the car industry. Used car uh, industry. Used car industry. Thank you. Uh, I also really liked uh, the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia. <laughs> I was I was saying about that one. I, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, yeah, it's about. Go ahead. No, no, sorry. I, I, I. It's they're just so. I'm. I. This hits me harder than the other two. It's just so because you grew up around it. I just grew up in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's about Jesco White, the dancing outlaw. He had a, he had two documentaries and uh, a, uh, a while back about. He's just this tap, uh, this guy who knew how to tap dance and, you know, was batshit crazy because he grew up in rural West Virginia. Uh, and by um, the way, did the voice of Grandpa P-Pap on Squidbillies. Squidbillies, yes. Uh, and this goes into his further extended family and how they are all equally unique. Yeah. Let's just say that the least. Um, I also really like the documentary Crumb. That's a good one, but it's so disturbing. It is. Uh, it's about the the comic book artist, comic book writer Crum. Um, I can't believe I'm blanking on his first name. R. Crum. R. Crum. Thank you. Um, and how this man is legitimately just one of the weirdest individuals you could always you could ever. But his meet. family's worse. And his family's worse. Yes. Uh, you know, it talks about how he used to have a picture. He used to get off on a picture of, of Bugs Bunny dressed as a woman. Uh, and among many other things, it is a, it is a, it's right up there with the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia in terms of families who are very unique. Um, and then uh, Grizzly Man, Werner Herzog's uh, documentary about the the guy who went to live with grizzlies and he got ate alive, essentially. Um, and then finally, uh, just a brief honorable mention to anything Ken Burns does. Um I will watch a Ken Burns documentary at the drop of a hat. Um, just to list a couple of my favorites, base, the baseball series. I loved the baseball series. Uh, the Roosevelt's, the Civil War is an amazing. That's the, that's Civil my, War with that wonderful Shelby Foot voice. Yeah. I, I said this to my students before. If Ken Burns ever does a history of universities, I will lose my job and be ecstatic at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and his deep dive into the Civil War, I just knew I found stuff out that I didn't know, and it was amazing. And then also, to uh, the last one I'll mention is the one about the Dust Bowl. Yeah, uh, Real it, quick, was, it was it's hardening, but go ahead. My, I'm sorry, Chad. No, I I agree with the Civil War, and the last one I will say is Rory Kennedy's American Hollow, which also takes place back where I grew up, documenting a family that she'd met, or her uncle, her dad had met many years ago. And how in a hundred years this family really hasn't changed. And one of my problems has always been, they've heard this a thousand times. Like, yeah, but if I pan to the left, to the right, there'd be a brick home. So American Hollow, Rory Kennedy, I think she gets the family mentality right of some of these folks. 
Yeah. And, and, and real quick, I, I know I've already done my honorable mentions. I, two more came to mind as y'all were talking. One would be Overnight. If you're a fan of the movie Boondock yeah. Saints, you need to see Overnight because Troy Duffy should own the world. And it's the the slogan for this. It was actually filmed because he got his friend to shoot the making of Boondock Saints, yeah. so he could you know have this documentary made a documentary made of his great success. And it ends up becoming the slogan ended up becoming "There's more than one way to shoot yourself in Hollywood." Yeah, and it's all about how everything goes wrong, which leads to my other honorable mention that I didn't think about till y'all were talking. Have either of you ever seen the best worst thing that ever could have happened? No. No. It is a fascinating documentary. Uh, Lonnie, it's about Lonnie Price and the cast of um, the Stephen Sondheim musical 1981's Merrily We Roll Along. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, Stephen Sondheim's Merrily We Roll Along. The hit play that we all associate with Stephen Sondheim. No, right? Nobody remembers that one. It's because they all assumed it was going to be as successful as all of Stephen Sondheim's other works. Mm-hmm. And it bombed. And this documentary brings them back together, I think, about a, a decade or so after it flopped and said, "What? Well, a, what went wrong? How do you feel about it? Because, of course, they were all ecstatic because they got cast in a new Stephen Sondheim production that failed. Right. So if you're interested in the behind the scenes of how how Broadway works, how all that, check out the best worst thing that ever could have happened. Those are my last two. I'll shut up. All right, guys. This has been a long documentary one, but thank you so much. Subscribe, tune in, and share. This has been Bonehead Weekly. Uh-huh.